Monkey to like a the podcast project of the Fenebulist by Leopold Lambert. Today, Machiavellian fortresses and the virtue of the sovereign with Morgan Inc. So today is the first episode of uh, defensive architecture as a topic. Um, we're going to look at it through uh, different periods of history. Uh, I think it's interest. It's important that if we're going to talk about the the violence and of architecture, it's important to look at historical and pretty extreme examples like like fortified uh, fortified architecture, military architecture, to. Um, to address uh, this dimension in a maybe more subtle and domestic way. Today we are with uh, Morgan Eng, who is uh, currently doing his uh, PhD at Harvard. Uh, hello, Morgan. Hi, Leopold. Uh, Thanks for having me. Sure, thank you for being here. Um, could you maybe tell us just a little bit what you're working on right now? Sure. So I'm working on my doctoral studies in architectural history and art history at Harvard with a particular focus on the role of technology and its links to architecture in the Renaissance. So fortification technology has been a longstanding interest. Currently, I'm also doing research on the use of light. So the use of windows, different means of finishing interiors and lighting with candles, etc. So my interests run the gamut, but the unifying theme is technology and its links to architectural production in the early modern period. Okay, thank you. Um, so there's one figure that we're going to, one character we're going to talk a lot about today, and it's uh, Machiavelli, uh, about who you, you've been working quite a bit. And uh, can you maybe uh, 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 give us a, a small introduction of not only him, but also his, uh, his historical context? Sure, totally. So Machiavelli is a pretty familiar name to most people who've studied just a bit of history. What we often forget is that Machiavelli was himself not just a philosopher, but totally engaged in on-the-ground physical methods of warfare. He worked um, for for Florence as a consultant in the buildup of a local militia. And as he was working later in his life, he got actually interested in defining with very great precision how to construct um, an ideal army, how to build actual fortresses relying on um, technology meant to combat the rise of the canon. So I guess I can talk a little bit about Machiavelli's context. When and why is he writing about fortresses? So by the late 15th century, um, Italy is pretty much screwed from a political and military point of view. France has invaded in 1494 and basically shows how a centralized power um, across the Alps is totally conquering the dysfunctional, fragmented, polycentric political system in which you have all of these different Italian princes fighting against each other without any kind of unity. Mm. And that's, an, that's an interesting thing about about Italy uh, in the 16th century and probably even later, right? It's like it's it's basically cities against cities, and uh, there is this archipelago of of, of cities exactly that, that have their own sovereignty, right? It's, that's exactly right. So you know, people in the architectural world love to fetishize you know polycentric organizations, mm. but in the 16th century and really up till the 19th century, Italy is pretty much screwed <laughs> because of its polycentric organization. Right. <laughs> so, um, so it's fragmented, it's dysfunctional. And on top of that, there are t- 
totally changing methods of warfare, which are making existing war technologies totally obsolete. So you see the rise of the infantry. And so medieval methods of cavalry fighting in which particular knights or princes could demonstrate their valor, their independent valor on the battlefield, that's becoming obsolete. On top of that, and this is relevant for architecture, is the rise of the cannon. So older types of urban fortifications where, for instance, you would want to build the walls very high so you could drop things um, on intruders, that becomes irrelevant when, uh, when intruders are now trying to blow up your walls with cannon fire. And so the shapes of walls start to change and walls themselves have to start incorporating new types of technology, including gun platforms where you could shoot um, the uh, attackers. Um, Siege warfare is becoming the main mode of attack. And within this context, Machiavelli is both trying to develop, develop a political philosophy as well as a more practical hands-on architectural theory of design. Hmm. So we we won't talk too much about the uh, the book of Machiavelli, which is the most well-known, which is The Prince. But can you maybe give us just a little bit of insight on on what is Machiavelli trying to do? Sure. Um, a, a central principle in The Prince and a principle that runs even through his other writings that deal more explicitly with architecture is the idea of the ruler's virtue. What does he mean by virtue? Please. (laughs) (laughs) So for Machiavelli, virtue doesn't mean uh, just the moral constitution of the ruler, in a kind of Christian sense and in the kind of sense that earlier humanists were trying to espouse, but instead virtue it's for... It's not a moralistic uh, uh, quality. Whether it's moral is still a subject open to debate, okay. but the way that Machiavelli defines virtue is not the kind of morality yeah. that other theorists or humanists were envisioning. Other humanists were thinking, oh, basically, if the prince prays enough and acquires the cardinal virtues, his subjects and his state will be in a situation, a harmonious situation. Machiavelli is trying to throw this out the window. Instead, virtue for Machiavelli is the skill of the ruler, um, the political savviness of the ruler to deal with changing circumstances. And so one strategy that might one strategy in manipulating people and resources at a certain historical period um, may change when the historical circumstances change as well. So the there's a kind of contingency to the ruler's skill that Machiavelli defines as virtue, and he creates a kind of dialectic between what he calls virtue and what he calls fortune. Fortune is the changeability of circumstances, and the ideal ruler will always have this skill to navigate the contingencies and the vicissitudes of fortune. Okay, so uh, so what we're going to look at uh, during this conversation is maybe Machiavelli's relationship to uh, to fortresses and uh, how, uh, what, what it means for a given uh, a given society. Um, if I understand if I understand what I read from you correctly, uh, I would I would I would think that it's interesting because a lot of people have been theorizing uh, the art of uh, fortification in. Um, Considering uh, what is the enemy uh, movement and their, or their, their firepower, the cannons you were just evoking, uh, but Machiavelli seems to be only uh, relatively not so much interested by it, and he seems to be more interested in what's going on uh, inside the citadel, right? And what 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 is um, 
how is the citadel changing the way the organization of the population inside is being uh, affected? Is that correct? That's, that's exactly right. So what's fascinating about Machiavelli is that he's not just developing a practical conception of architectural defense. In the end, his goals are practical. He wants to ensure the stability of the state. But what's fascinating is that he articulates a kind of psychology of fortification, the way in which the very possession of a military technology alters the psychological makeup of the user. So let's contrast this with something of a more modern-day example. So with the, after the Sandy Hook shootings, one thing that was striking um, about the NRA response, particularly, particularly the response of the NRA president, Wayne LaPierre, was the statement that the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. So if we, if we put that back in context, so Sandy Hook shooting was this uh, primary school uh, uh, in the U.S. that was that Right was in Newton. In Newton, where somebody somebody entered and started shooting uh, at at young young children, basically, and and the NRA is a National Rifle Association, which is their, the the biggest lobby, uh, fi firearms lobby in the United States. Exactly. So, so just to give a kind of more modern day context to the same kind of problems that Machiavelli's dealing with in the United States, there's a big debate going on right now about, um, about the accessibility of firearms. There's a big gun lobby, a big firearms lobby in the United States that wants to make firearms very easy to buy and sell. Um, and one of the big arguments is that as long as enough good people can own guns, normal, you know, law-abiding good people can own guns, then uh, the good then guys, the good guys, <laughs> the if the good, good guys, guys, if the good guys can <laughs> according own, according to Wayne Lapierre, yeah. <laughs> according to Wayne Lapierre, if enough good guys can own guns, then the bad guys will be under control. Yeah. And in a sense, this is sort of like a small-scale version of what you could say, a kind of arms race mentality. And we, right? we have the intuition it may be a little bit more complex. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But, you know, in fact, as, as, as uh, you know, strange as this um, NRA position and as self-interested as this NRA position seems, in a lot of ways, it's still the reigning ideology, even from a national point of view. If you think about the arms race debates, it's as long as the good nations have enough Um, bombs, then the bad nations will be under control. So how is Machiavelli articulating a difference, an alternative to this kind of conception? Well, for Machiavelli, a good guy who owns a gun is no longer the same good guy. So let me say this. So, Leopold, if today I decided to give you a pistol, Machiavelli would say, Leopold, from this day on, you're not the same person as you were yesterday. So yesterday, you know, you were law-abiding, good Leopold. But now with a gun, your whole psychological makeup is suddenly, suddenly changed. And Machiavelli is taking this idea and applying it to fortification technology, which means that the ruler who is inside a fortress is fundamentally a different ruler than the ruler who's on the battlefield confronting the army um, firsthand. And, and I suppose the relationship uh, of the ruler with its own people is also changed by this very same uh, implementation of, for, of a fortress, right? Definitely. And Machiavelli is struggling um, throughout his thought, starting with The Prince and um, later in The Art of War, which is um, his last um, published treatise in 1521, he's struggling with how, with the problem of a ruler 
his fortress building and his relation to his subjects. So maybe it would, maybe it would be a little useful to go over how Machiavelli is struggling with a single problem, trying to come up with a solution, but working through different possible solutions. So, sure. so that's uh, so. What you're talking about right now, chronologically speaking, uh, relates to three different books. Is that right? That's right. So when Machiavelli starts writing The Prince, it's after he's um, in exile. There's a conspiracy in Florence, um, and uh, all his efforts to help the Florentine state seem to be in a situation of shambles. So he's writing in response to his own experiences and trying to articulate a theory of how, for instance, a city or a a republic like Florence might might, um, save itself. So when he's first writing in The Prince, he talks a little bit about, about fortresses. He basically says, and this relates to the kind of situation of virtue versus fortune, is that, okay, well, fortresses are useful, but it depends on the political circumstances. So let's say a ruler is hated by his subjects. Then in that kind of situation, it's worth building a fortress. So let's let's take the example of Mayor Bloomberg in New York. Let's say Mayor Bloomberg is the most hated mayor in recent memory. Well, at the time of uh, this release of this podcast, he's no longer a mayor. So exactly. <laughs> but, but let's go. Let, let's go, Let, let's go on with the yeah. um, with with the analogy. Yeah. Well, so Mayor Bloomberg's life is in constant threat. And so finally he decides, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to climb to the top of the Empire State Building and surround it with surveillance technology and firearms. So in a situation in which the populace hates the ruler, fortresses are useful. On the other hand... And they probably just increase the hatred even more right? it will it will increase the hatred but if you have to make a kind of political calculation yeah. you'll go with it yeah. but let's say everybody loves mayor bloomberg berg then it's a futile strategy instead you know if mayor bloomberg's biggest enemy at this point is new jersey <laughs> Uh, then, you know, then all of his subjects will rally around him and help him, you know, destroy Governor Christie. Probably would happen, actually. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Most likely that would be the case. So in this case, you know, um, Bloomberg would not want to build a citadel and he would rely on the love of his subjects to protect him. So in this case, in the first book, Machiavelli sees um, a, a problematic aspect of the architecture, but he says, you know, it totally depends on the circumstances. By the time he's writing his discourses on Livy, he comes down much more negatively on fortresses. So he's still working through the same problem, but coming up with an alternate solution. He thinks that basically rulers should avoid fortresses altogether. When he finally writes The Art of War, which is actually strangely the book that is least read of his, um, but which Machiavelli himself considered the most important, he finally seems to come up with his final solution, and this is an architectural solution. He thinks that rulers pretty much can't he writes from a point of view in which fortresses by the second decade of the 16th century are pretty much a given by this point and he writes about fortresses as though they can't be avoided but they have to be designed in a specific way that prevents the ruler from either being hated or from acquiring all of these characteristics that uh, psychological characteristics that make him weak. So 
Machiavelli um, operates a lot with uh, examples, right? So what, what would be maybe a case study to illustrate what you just said? Uh, that's exactly right. So Machiavelli, uh, he's very invested in history. And as I said, the flux of history. So he usually tries to teach by looking at specific historical case studies. So a couple case studies that he uses are related to the Sforza dynasty. And in Florence, right? Sforza. In 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 Milan. Oh, in Milan. I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah. Starts off in Milan with Francesco Sforza, who's a um, he's a mercenary, basically a self-made man that Machiavelli admires a great deal, who comes to power by sheer force of of will and talent. But then come the descendants, right? So. The descendants have inherited this kind of virtuous martial bloodline, but they squander it, and in large measure because a fortress is at stake. So the descendants of um, Francesco Sforza build this amazing castle, the famous Castello Sforzesco in Milan, and all of the the virtue the martial vigor that francesco had displayed now become lost as the descendants retreat into the castle terrorize the citizens and rely on the safety the defensibility of the architecture to protect them so a fortress, not, not not anymore to protect against some kind of outside enemy, but more from the enemy from within, right? Exactly. The enemy from within being basically the whole population. Exactly, exactly. So the fortress itself creates a situation in which the ruler will be hated by the citizens. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, it changes fundamentally the psychological constitution of the ruler himself who now becomes cowardly um, unable to unable to face the physical um, aspects of combat and instead prefers the comfort or the false security of being inside and so interestingly Machiavelli as you said, Leopold, is not talking only about architecture as, um, the, or, or military architecture as about the relationship between the inside and the outside or the defensibility of the structure itself from attackers, but what happens inside the building itself, what happens to the users from a kind of internal point of view, both physically internal but also psychologically internal. Hmm. And... Uh, yeah, and I, I suppose to that matter, uh, fortresses are problematic in the fact that they they circumscribe space in such a way that the population is actually kept within a given territory, right? So, like, uh, in 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 uh, to a certain extent, we could compare the fact of building fortress to the example of building prison. Uh, and uh, I think you have a you you have a another little uh, historical example of that with their uh, various layers of, of, of walls and fortification, right? Right. So Machiavelli begins with this example of um, the Castello Sforzesco, but then he elaborates in a much more architectural, you know, physical point of view of the problems of this kind of architecture through a related example. And that is the example of the Countess of Forli. So, Caterina Sforza Riario, who is the illegitimate daughter of the same Francesco, is the Countess, the, the very hated Countess of Forli. And here, Machiavelli, especially um, in the discourses on Livy and in the Art of War, details the physical design of her fortress. Her fortress itself is composed of many, let's say, nested layers so that whenever an enemy attacker um, comes towards it 
and breaks through the first layer, the countess can retreat into the second layer, and then can retreat into the third layer, and then can retreat ever deeper into the fortress. So rather than creating a situation where, uh, where the countess has to rally her forces summon the courage and fight the attacker the very physical the spatial organization of the fortress itself enables the emergence of this kind of um, cowardly behavior and especially in the second example it's not um, it's not accidental let's say that Machiavelli uses a woman because in much of his theorization there is a kind of we can say you know looking back a kind of sexist view in which in which virtue is always aligned with manliness with masculine courage whereas fortune on the other hand and even in even in italian the word fortuna is a feminine word is aligned with figures like um, like the Countess of Forli, who subjects herself to the contingencies of the circumstances in, instead of facing them firsthand and fighting them. And so for, for Machiavelli, a certain type of fortress design can actually feminize the ruler, in a sense. And in this sense... He's, for instance, um, contrasting himself with figures like Alberti, who wrote about fortresses as virtuous, uh, as as inventions made by virtuous rulers, but that other at other times get taken up by tyrants. So, whereas Alberti sees sees fortification in a sense a little bit like Wayne LaPierre as a kind of neutral instrument something that can be occupied by by a good guy and maximize his good characteristics or can also be occupied by a bad guy and maximize his worst characteristics for Machiavelli the actual physical design of the structure itself changes the user and so by the time he's writing The Art of War, um, he's basically acknowledged that fortification will not go away. In Discourses on Livy, he seems to be uniformly negative on fortresses. By his later writings, his much more mature writings, he accepts the fact that fortresses are a way of life, but they should be designed in a way not like um, not like the countess's, you know, fortress with layers and layers of protection, but with a type of um, enough protection, but not so much protection that you become weak. Okay. Um, well, if we if we maybe disregard uh, uh, Machiavelli's uh, misogynistic misogyni- uh, <laughs> uh, uh, writing um, part, I think I think there is a comparison with Alberti is interesting because. Uh, Machiavelli seems to be a little bit less uh, 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 let's say again more, more realistic even though it's, it's, uh, it might be a little bit of a retrospective reading of it but uh, Alberti is someone who writes in 15th century that beauty like the beauty of a, of a citadel might actually influence the enemy attacking it which uh, sounds somehow a little bit peculiar. Machiavelli is writing a, a few decades after that in a much more uh, neutral, not neutral in the way you were meaning it with, uh, with uh, the, as far as technology is concerned, but it's not, it, there, is n- there is not a, an additional layer of symbolism that com- uh, or semiotics that comes on it and that influence uh, the, the enemy or whoever whoever we're protecting against with those fortresses it's 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 pretty peculiar to to hear this uh, this uh, remark from Alberti about the beauty of fortress isn't it so when when Alberti is writing uh, he's talking about 
beautiful architecture. And he's not necessarily talking about fortresses themselves, but about how palaces um, or or um, the beauty of civil architecture, <clears throat> perhaps even religious architecture, can deflect enemy aggression. Maybe I should read the quote that you're using in your own paper because I think it's it's pretty interesting for that. Sure, it's it's an amazing contrast. Um, what other human heart? What other human art may sufficiently protect a building to save it from human attack? Beauty may even influence an enemy by restraining his anger and so preventing the work from being violated. Thus, I might be so bold as to state, no other means is as effective in protecting a work from damage and human injury as is dignity and grace of form. <laughs> it, is, it is quite something. It's quite something. And, and we have to remember that Alberti is writing kind of from a humanist uh, topos in which you see beauty often as a motif for protection against against aggression so if they're in some of this <clears throat> in some of this 16th 15th and 16th century literature you'll read sometimes about a beautiful soldier who the enemy decides not to kill because he's so beautiful <laughs> but um but an important point that you make leopold is that machiavelli does not actually represent the currents of his time. In a sense, Machiavelli is a humanist. He's extremely inspired by classical examples. He's trying to come up with a theory based on the example of um, the Roman legions, but he is trying to combat the prevailing humanist conceptions of his time. And so when he defines virtue in a certain way, he's coming up with his very own definition of virtue. When he talks about architecture, he basically talks about it in a totally different way than the figures that we're more familiar with as architectural theorists, such as Alberti. Um, and much of the architectural theory in the 15th and the 16th century, for instance, as scholars have more recently been arguing has been related to ornament. So the way that the ornament of a building is designed has an incredibly social function. Uh, for Machiavelli here, uh, sorry, exact, excuse me, for Alberti here, he's not talking about or ornament per se, but architectural beauty as performing an intensely... Um, Intensely social function, mm. and so no parade aesthetics. No, I don't. Know. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> he, he's he's uh, he's not exactly um, a Clement Greenberg <laughs> here. Oh, what, a Clement Greenberg sort of talking about the autonomy of the artwork. No, he he sees the beauty of the artwork as integral to its social function. And at the time, a lot of humanists were writing about you know if a prince builds enough. Um, magnificent buildings he will become more powerful whereas Machiavelli is trying to throw this out the window um, uh, physical or visual magnificence has nothing um, to do with the problem of power and he's interested in different aspects um, not just the defensibility but the as you said the internal layout of these structures and the way they relate to the internal psychology of the ruler so it's very interesting to place Machiavelli in his own context because um, just as his political philosophy departs from the typical Christian very strongly Christian inflected humanism of his time, so too does his um, architectural theory depart from the prevailing ideas of figures like Alberti and others. Yeah, there's no messianic aspect of architecture uh, for Machiavelli, right? Like well, architecture doesn't doesn't save, does not. Well, you know, Machiavelli has a very clear goal. It's you know the stability of the state. Um, so he does have an end result, but he's not coming up. 
let's say, he's not interested in <clears throat> ideal proportions or harmonious systems or even types of ornament that that um, have a semiotic function, I think, as you, you mentioned, a semiotic function related to ideals of classical rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of figures were thinking about architectural ornament in ways that paralleled uh, the kind of Ciceronian rhetoric which was being revived in the Renaissance. Machiavelli throws all of this out the window. He's interested in the design of the layout, the relation to the ruler's psychology, and how these different dynamics of power play within the design of physical buildings. Okay. Um, There's something I would like us to talk about is uh, maybe related to the way um, uh, Machiavelli think of how a city uh, goes at war or rather is in maybe continuous state of war or state continuous state of, uh, of risk or of danger rather than uh, um, finding itself in the middle of a, a very protective fortress and, and therefore finding a, some comfort in, in being so well protected and how, how in a given city and therefore in a given uh, rep- republic uh, their, the whole political system might be influenced by either this discomfort or this comfort. Okay, that's a very, uh, very good point. I think you mentioned a bit earlier that for you at least, in, in your thinking, architecture is always somehow in a state of war mm-hmm. or always in a state of conflict. And this was, in a practical way, very real in Machiavelli's day. Um, when um, Italian states were constantly in a state of struggle amongst each other. So let's be clear, Machiavelli assumes that warfare is kind of a given in a political situation. And the problem is how to design a kind of architecture or a military system that will best keep up with this reality. So in in another way, for instance, he's trying to come up with an idea of a of a citizen militia that will take the actual citizens of a state as um uh to to construct the uh to construct the militia against opponents and he's writing this in a con- in a context in which for instance foreign mercenaries are being used by princes um, that save the prince from having to go through the trouble of um, conscripting their own armies. And in an interesting way, that the way that Machiavelli writes about fortresses parallels his larger military philosophy in general, which is that both the prince and the populace must put themselves must actively put themselves in a position of constant risk, of constant confrontation with the enemy. And so for Machiavelli, if a if a fortress is designed that is too protective, then there isn't, as you put it, Leopold, a situation of adequate tension, of adequate discomfort um, that keeps that keeps both the prince and the citizens on their toes, constantly vigilant, constantly in an active state. Um, And so in the same way that Machiavelli tries to condemn a certain mode of fortress building, he's also condemning, say, the use of mercenaries, um, which ultimately put, uh, put the military power in a group of people who have no personal vested interest in the stability of the state besides making money from it 
and on the other hand keeps the citizens and the prince disengaged from the actual reality and the constant continuous um, reality of combat. So in a sense, you could say that uh, as comfortably as uh, uh, being an American, as comfortably as I am now, um, not having to be forced to serve in the army or not having to, you know, be in daily combat. The reality is that we are a nation constantly at war, and yet somehow we've, uh, we as citizens have been shielded from that brutal and absolutely physical reality. And so Machiavelli would have a lot to say about that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were evoking maybe the, the figure of the ruler uh, himself or herself. Uh, but I think it's, it's probably also true for the population uh, as well, just like you said, for uh, contemporary uh, America, for example. But uh, uh, with, without having to... It, it might be important to... to, to to go back to those notions of comfort and discomfort, because we we tend to we tend to associate with them a very clear uh, a filter of like comfort is good, discomfort is bad. Yeah. But uh, like without without having to wish that a, pop- a given population finds itself in a continuous state of war, which is not exactly the uh, appropriate degree of discomfort, let's say, but. The fact that a population finds itself in a state of uh, tension, as you, as you use the word, mm-hmm. it might be might be uh, might be important in for the political uh, functioning of this same society. And I think architecture has a lot to do uh, has a lot to do with it, right? Because uh, both at their at their very biological level level of uh, a body that is in comfort is not a body that is. Uh, uh, it's it's basically a body that uh, sees its aging accelerating, right? No. But also <laughs> at a political level, uh, uh, being in comfort is also uh, make losing losing uh, awareness and and. Uh, and Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. So Machiavelli is so amazing at playing with paradoxes because we typically, if if you were to ask a person on the street, what's your definition of architecture? Most people would probably say something like shelter. Mm -hmm. So we think about architecture's precise role as to protect um, from the elements, to protect from the outside, and to provide, as you said, comfort. The paradox that Machiavelli isolates here is that when one seems the most protected from danger is when one is the most in danger. Mm -hmm. And so, in fact, the idea of a defensive architecture, an overly defensive architecture, is actually, for Machiavelli, the most dangerous architecture. And um, ultimately... The example of um, Caterina Sforzoriario is that when she seems to be the most protected is when she's put herself in a condition that is the most subject to the contingencies of fortune. Mm. But for, because this this <clears throat> risks that you're describing and that Machiavelli describes uh, of this higher risk when uh, being put in a situation of uh, higher comfort. The risk is not the same anymore, right? The risk does not come from the outside; it comes from the very inside of where you are. So, when uh, when she finds herself in her seventh layer of fortification, <laughs> uh, I suppose she's the seventh layer is pretty much her room, and she is imprisoning she imprisoned herself within her her bedroom or something. I mean, I'm exaggerating, obviously, but but is, is that what it means? In a sense, yeah. I, I, for for Machiavelli, the danger is for for the ruler is to become a weak ruler from a kind of psychological point of view, or or f- when he talks about virtue, the danger is that the ruler loses his or her virtue. 
And so the kind of the most, let's say we were to be besieged tomorrow by an attacking force, most of us would be absolutely screwed um, because we wouldn't have the first clue about how to defend ourselves. And so for Machiavelli, uh, the idea of architecture, as you mentioned, in a kind of conventional sense as providing comfort, uh, providing shelter from the elements and from external uh, unwanted intruders actually is not a real defense. It's, um, it's an illusion that has to be overcome. And so in a sense, as, as you mentioned, the idea of building an architecture with the right degree of tension or with the right degree of discomfort, it, it, it's, it's hard to imagine a parallel in any other Renaissance thinker, and in this case, Machiavelli, as in his political philosophy, in general, is extremely visionary. So if we continue to maybe uh, um, do this dialogue between 16th century and, and <laughs> co contemporary, uh, well, in that case, United States, but I mean, I guess uh, the whole Western world can, can work uh, as well. But um, what, what do you think Machiavelli would, would be, uh, in which way do you think he would be interpreting uh, their modern war technology that we can see right now? Well, Machiavelli would probably have a lot to say both about uh, about modern day conscription and drone technology. If you think about it, some of the most um, uh, the most outrageous wars that the U.S. has been fighting has been precisely the result of a disengaged. Uh, because of this, the disengagement of the political leaders and of the populace, if you think about the fact that most of the popu uh, most of the politicians who decided um, to in invade Iraq themselves have no children um, fighting the wars, and themselves are totally disengaged from the physical realities of warfare as is as is the as are the citizens who supported these outrageous wars um, Machiavelli would say you know uh, this is a kind of continuous it's a reality of continuous warfare but a situation in which both the, the leaders and the citizens have been totally disengaged from the reality we would really think twice um, about our military actions, and we would consider them from a much more complex angle if we were actually on the ground. And in a similar way, the kind of um, virtualization of combat in which, uh, in which even soldiers themselves on the battlefield are really fighting from virtual control centers far away from the actual physical realities of combat is in a sense the is a kind of extreme version of the very fortress of Forli that Machiavelli had criticized. And so in a sense at this kind of threshold of modernity in the 16th century um, and the revolution in warfare techniques, we find a thinker who is incredibly prescient and worth reading even today. Okay. Uh, and let's maybe just recognize that you were talking about the drones right now, but that might not be the... Uh, There's still, there's still some American soldiers on 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 field in Iraq and uh, and in Afghanistan, right? So uh, it's not it's not the only thing, but the drone might be a paradigmatic uh, uh, technology of the way war are being uh, done right now. Absolutely, I'm um, the 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 irony is that the politicians who are who are putting um, many of these brave 
men and women into combat are the very people who are the most sheltered mm -hmm. from the realities of of that combat. And what's interesting here is that, uh, and what I might explain as well why uh, Machiavelli is usually uh, uh, is commonly seen as a as a cynical character, which is probably a, a wrong way to read him. But uh, is that Machiavelli would not it. Again, like if we if we keep this comparison of what what would Machiavelli say of our of our contemporary uh, era, he would not um, he would not argue against those wars and the ways they're being made because of an ethical point of view, uh, as we would maybe of thinking of uh the way uh, the way Iraqi civilians are being killed on a on a daily basis by those wars he would actually argue that there those wars are not being done in the correct way for him for the sake of the United States right like he would think that the way the United States are leading those war are leading to the United States uh, decline uh so that that's an interesting uh Exactly. That these display these incredible displays of technological brutality or aggression, which seem to put the United States in a position of supremacy, are actually weaken, weakening us. And it's precisely that kind of paradox that runs through all of his such paradoxes that run through his writing that make him such a fascinating thinker. And and probably this technology involves architecture, apparently. Uh, well, Morgan, thank you very much for uh, talking today. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure.